0: Good morning. We're continuing our series in Acts this morning. Uh, Toby rebooted our series last week uh, with um, Peter's uh, recapitulation of the uh, story of the, what was it called, the floating forbidden meat sheet uh, uh, that he saw. And we're just going to continue with our story. And if Katie is here, is she here? She is here. Katie is going to come and read the scripture passage to us. We're in Acts uh, chapter 11, and I think we're in verse, uh, you know, somewhere in the middle, so you can find it.
1: (laughs) Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was was that for an entire year that they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciple determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul.
0: That's great. Thanks, Casey. I'm going to switch on my little device, which means I can set Joel free. I'm now in control of the screen. You were all in fine voice this morning. My goodness. Today, uh, I want to do a couple of things. First, we're just going to walk through this passage and just make a few observations along the way. And then I want to look at three principles of Christian community that I think we can learn from uh, this passage. Things that have actually been key priorities in the vineyard movement since its inception, uh, but which are clearly not original ideas because they're here in the Bible. Uh, But before I do either of those things, I want to kind of set some context uh, because we're looking at small chunks each week. uh, And in Acts, Luke occasionally shifts focus from one character and location uh, to another, so it's a little easy to forget where we left certain characters. But Luke is actually quite meticulous and methodical in his reporting. He uh, always picks up from where he left off. So we just want to see uh, where we are at this point. So I'm going to rewind to where this is picking up from. Yeah, it works. Uh, in chapter eight, this is just after Stephen has been uh, stoned uh, to death all under the watchful and approving eye of a man called Saul. And Luke says in 8.1, uh, that day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. And, it's, and skipping to verse 4, it says, those were scattered; those who were scattered went from place to place proclaiming the word. So there's a couple of points to take from this. First of all, these Jesus followers that are in Antioch have fled from persecution. Uh, this persecution has actually ended because it was spearheaded by Saul, and Saul is now on our side, and um, uh, and, and, and so there's a period of peace and prosperity in the church, which we learn um, earlier in Acts. And uh, unfortunately, because there's no Twitter in the first century, these guys in Antioch don't know this. Um, so they probably haven't heard about this. They, they, they probably feel... Uh, as though this persecution is still going on there. Secondly, um, to these Jesus followers that are in Antioch, this Jesus thing is still very much a Jewish affair. Um, The base church where the apostles still are is in Jerusalem. Uh, We're still um, talking in terms of the Jewish Messiah having come to, uh, to bring God's, Uh, new age to his people, they haven't yet heard about the gospel opening up to non-Jews, about Peter's experience with the floating forbidden meat sheet. I love that idea. Like I said, there's no Twitter, so Peter couldn't do uh, an update. Uh, So here these folk are, and because they don't have the unmitigated blessing that is Twitter, um, they're fleeing a persecution that is no longer happening And they have no idea that God has now welcomed Gentiles into the family. They've got the good news of the Jewish Messiah, but they don't yet know the good news of how the doors of God's house have been flung wide open to the whole world, all tribes and nations and all tongues. And that's where we get to today's passage. So despite no Twitter, along come some Jews from other parts of the diaspora who have got the memo. And instead of just sharing the gospel among Jews, they also share among the Greek speaking Gentiles. I, I, I reckon it's Philip's doing. So, in Luke's narrative, since Stephen's stoning, uh, as well as um, the major milestones of Saul's conversion and Peter's new excitement about bacon sandwiches, um, in addition to those things happening, Philip has been like teleporting all around the Mediterranean. Um, like just preaching the gospel to whoever, you know, so Ethiopians and Samaritans and who knows who else. So the good news about Jesus has begun to spread among both Jews and Gentiles, and now in Antioch, it all begins to coalesce, and somehow a church begins to form. Now this doesn't seem to be a church that is built out of any kind of intentional strategy on anybody's part. But Luke says this, that the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with those who were proclaiming Jesus. And so a community of believers begins to to take shape. And I think it simply had to be the hand of the Lord because I can't see any other way for this community to coalesce in Antioch. It's a completely unorganized group of Jesus-loving Jews from all over the place. Cyprus. I think I've got a map, actually. Yeah, look. I've even got... Check this out. (laughs) Laser. (laughs) So we've got people from Cyprus. About 100 miles off the coast from Antioch, which is over here, by the way. We've also got people from Cyrene, which is all the way over here. It's about 1,500 miles in what's now Libya. Libya. So these guys are from all over the place. They don't know each other. And there's these guys who have also fled the persecution from Jerusalem, which is down here, which is about 400 miles south. So they don't know each other. They're from all over the place. They speak different languages and all kinds of things. And thirdly, this is the third largest city in the Roman Empire with a population bigger than that of today's Edinburgh or Manchester. Manchester. And yet somehow in a city this size, a church begins to form. So it has to be the hand of the Lord that is doing it. It's God himself who's building his church. And news of this church ripples all the way back to Jerusalem, catches the attention of the apostles there, and they send Barnabas up to Antioch you know, just to check things out, make sure everything's kosher. Or not? (laughs) Barnabas. You know those movies where characters all have their own little theme in the soundtrack? You just know that Barnabas, his theme is like a jolly little number, right? What a guy. And Luke can't just say Barnabas and be done with it. He's got to say that this guy was full of the Holy Spirit. He's so good. So full of faith. Barnabas you know those sorts of people who, you know, if you're at a wedding and you look at the seating plan and you see Barnabas sitting opposite, you're like, yes. (laughs) Because you could have ended up opposite Peter. (laughs) Who would have just said all the wrong things. Or Thomas, who would have just been looking for opportunities to martyr himself. Or... God forbid that you get sat opposite John who would be constantly reminding you how much Jesus really loved him the best. (laughs) But anyway, Barnabas, or Barney, as as his friends call him, would definitely have had his own spin-off TV show, right? (laughs) So Barney turns up. And he loves what he sees there in Antioch. The text says that he came and he saw the grace of God. But I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. It says, as soon as he arrived, he saw that God himself was behind it and in it all. And so he threw himself in with them. And being the type of guy that he is, he encourages them. Well done, he says. You've made a brilliant choice. Stick with it. Go the distance. Devote yourself to this life. He sees even more people coming to God. And then he thinks, hang on a minute, wait a minute. I know a guy who is really up for speaking to these Gentiles about the gospel. But the last time he tried it, they all tried to kill him. So we sent him home to Tarsus. Tarsus is just up the road, about there. So he's just up the road, Barney thinks, I'm going to go and get Saul. Saul. Because the gospel seems to be catching hold among the Gentiles here, and they're not trying to kill us, so we should go get him. So Barnabas at this point, he's, he's got an opportunity to, to to make himself the big man. You know, he's the, he's the apostle's guy in Antioch, but he's actually thinking, who can I invest in? Who can I raise up? And he's got Saul just up the rose, road, so he thinks this is a chance to see what he's made of. So... He goes up to pick up Saul, brings him back to Antioch, and once again, just like in Jerusalem, it's only because Barnabas is there vouching for Saul that the Christians there aren't freaking out because they think Saul is the bad guy, right? That he wants to kill them all. So Barney's there, he's saying, don't worry, guys, he's not here to kill us. He's with us now, he's on our side. And for a year, Barnabas and Saul minister in this church. That must have been a foundational year for Saul, right? Who we know better as Paul. But just as a kind of quick and unimportant side note, Saul just in contrary to what you might have been taught, what I was certainly taught, Saul doesn't become Paul when he becomes a Christian. He's still Saul at this point. It really is a matter of who he's talking to. The Jewish world would have known him as Saul. The Greek-speaking world would have known him as Paul. Anyway, an important side note done. So this year must have been really foundational for Saul. He's just figuring out what a Jesus-loving community is supposed to look like. There must have been all the kinds of issues in that community that he later addresses in all the letters that we get to read in the rest of the New Testament. I mean, seriously big questions like, what do we do about circumcision? What's the deal with all the food and purity laws? What kind of sacrifice are we now supposed to bring to God? for that matter in what way is jesus this man who died and was crucified and rose again how is he god how is he both a man and the same god that we jews have worshiped for centuries who is the holy spirit what does he look like what does he do what is god's plan for the future How is God's kingdom supposed to unravel? How is his authority supposed to be experienced in the world? What does the rest of history look like for us? These are all questions that Saul is probably figuring out during this time. Using the learning he's already got as a well-read scholar of the Hebrew Bible, but now with this new knowledge of having met Jesus and the Holy Spirit inspiring him. So he's learning all of these things. He's figuring all these things out in community as well as learning all the basic elements of pastoral ministry. And he's there simply because Barnabas had the wisdom to bring him there. Barney saw the potential in him and he made it his business to put Saul right into the thick of it. And later on, we actually see Paul doing exactly the same thing with Timothy, who clearly becomes another important leader In the church, Barnabas took a risk on Saul, so Saul took risks on people later on too, setting a standard model of leadership, uh, training, and uh, activation of of, of leaders. And it's here in Antioch that such a unique community has formed that the world simply needs a new name for them. Right? There's no way we can continue to call them Jewish, because there's, even though there's a load of Jews there, there's a load of non-Jews there, so we can't call them Jewish anymore. They say they worship the same God, but they also talk about this man, Jesus Christ, who they're also worshipping. In fact, they seem to model their lives on Jesus. They seem to love like he loved. You know, there's, these, there's this famine, and they send help. It's almost like they're little Christs, so we'll call them that, Christians. And so the name Christian was first used in Antioch. So as we briefly uh, look at these three principles that I want to uh, sort of dig out from uh, this text about uh, what Christian community could look like, First of all, I want to say that the word Christian, although it means one thing in this context, 2,000 years of Christianity has allowed a lot of baggage to accumulate with the name. And so obviously, it now means in the minds of many, many things that it ought not to mean. So let's just have a look at some of these three principles and bear that in mind. First of all, click, there we go. We want to bless what God is blessing. When Barnabas turns up in Antioch and he sees that the Lord himself has caused this church to spring up, he doesn't then start pointing out all the ways that they do things better in Jerusalem, where all the apostles are, right? He sees that this is something that God himself is blessing, and so he can do nothing but bless it himself. And like Peter in the passage Toby preached last week, he applies the Gamaliel principle. Right? If this is God, who am I to speak against it, or act against it, or change it, or mess it, mess around with it? This is God doing this. So this is a principle that has always been at the um, uh, uh, there from the beginning of the vineyard. We. We want to bless what God is blessing wherever he's blessing it and whatever it looks like. In the vineyard, we do things a certain way. Down the road at Holy Trinity or All Saints or the Baptist Church or Cornerstone, they do things. some things the same. They do some things slightly differently. But Toby and Carol didn't start this church because they were doing it wrong. They started it because there's so many different ways of doing it right. Our God is infinitely creative and expressions of church are part of that creativity. So John Wimber, the foundational leader of the vineyard, uh, said that the principle of how we're to relate to other churches is simply that my brother is never my enemy. So you, you, you find yourself in this church for one reason or another. Maybe you are a member of the family of the bride or groom tomorrow or... Uh, or you're just visiting, or you've been here for a long time, but don't kid yourself that the way we do things here is the right way. We've done things a certain way, and we found that God has poured out his blessing on us and continue to do that. But we bless and, cu- bless and encourage what God is blessing in all the other ways that the church is growing and flourishing. We can speak about what we do positively without resorting to speaking about how others do things differently in a negative way. So let's bless what God is blessing. Next principle, equip the saints. The principle of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, is is foundational to uh, the way that I've been brought up in this movement. Guys have taken risks on me and I take risks on other people. And from this passage, we learn that we shouldn't do anything alone, any kind of ministry alone. We should always be pulling people alongside us to train and equip and resource them for their own future ministry. So Barnabas is the apostle's guy in Antioch, but he doesn't look for the opportunity to embiggen his own stature. He looks for an opportunity to invest in and raise up another leader. For the glory of God. And we do that here. There are people who took risks and continue to take risks uh, on me. God knows I screwed up a ton of ways before I became the premium quality worship leader that you see standing before you today. So I take risks on other people. He did all right, didn't he, Tim, this morning? Ellie Mumford, uh, who with John, her husband, uh, kick-started the vineyard in the UK, I remember her saying once uh, that if you put a novice preacher up uh, one Sunday morning of the year, you might get a dud sermon, but you've got 51 other weeks in the year to improve upon it. On the flip side, if you don't put that novice preacher up, then the church is going to die when you die. Now, of course, the life of the church doesn't hang on a single preacher, but the principle is really sound. And so as a church that meets in a university town, about to experience another tsunami um, of students, we are of profound strategic importance in this little corner of Scotland here. We may not get to reap much of the harvest of what we sow here, although let's just acknowledge that Jim and Rachel are a pretty good crop. We don't get to reap much of what we sow here, but it's still of crucial importance that we continually sow into the lives of the the young Christians who spend such formative years here. It's investment in the kingdom, even if we don't uh, get to see it. And then thirdly, we're a church that does the stuff I haven't said a lot about the last few words of this passage and the famine, but I want to end with this because I think it's really important Uh, there's a few things that we know about this church in Antioch, one it's big and it's getting bigger second, it's really diverse, it's full of people from all corners of the known world but apart from those things we don't actually know about what they do what does church look like for them, we don't know what kind of donuts they had Uh, You know, was was their coffee any good? That's really important. Um, We don't know if they had pews or plastic chairs. We don't know what kind of PA system they had for the band. (laughs) We don't know what provision they made for kids. We know two things about what these people did. One, they prophesied. And two, they were generous to those who had need. And we want those to be two key elements of our church too. We want to be those who listen to God and who speak his truth into one another's lives. And we want to be those who give as we're able to those who have need. It's these two things that Luke identifies as activities that are associated with the word Christian. So we could get hung up about how people think all sorts of things when they hear the word Christian, or we could just get on and do the stuff, right? Change their minds that way. Here in Antioch, that's what Christians are known for, prophecy and meeting practical need. In East Fife, let it be known that Christians care for both spirit and body of the members of their community, those they know and those they don't yet know it means we seek the lord we speak his truth it also means meeting practical needs where we find them one of those things by the other by the way one of those things without the other is not an authentic christianity you could spend your entire time meeting the practical needs of people doing the work of compassion but never seek the face of God. You could spend your entire time in contemplation and prayer, but if you never lift a finger to help, you haven't got it. It's only when we seek God and serve one another that we're fulfilling those, those two uh, greatest commandments that Jesus spoke about, love God, love one another. So that was my kind of brief ramble through the passage. I don't have a single point, obviously, so it was difficult to title this talk, so I've just called it Up the Antioch. But there are these three principles that I think we can learn from this passage about what Christian community is supposed to look like. Let's bless what God is blessing. Let's equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And let's do the stuff. So we're going to pray for one another now. This is just another chance to do the stuff. It's a chance to seek the Lord together for whatever it is that you need. Practical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, relational, whatever. I also want to make an invitation to those who might be here and don't yet know if they would call themselves a Christian. So let's get practical about this. Maybe uh, you're just feeling a pull that you can't quite understand. Maybe you're just intellectually curious. Maybe you were affected emotionally during the worship. Now, I believe that was the hand of the Lord touching you. But if you're not sure, this is simply the best opportunity you may ever have to simply ask God to meet with you. You've got nothing to lose, really, by doing that, and you've got everything to gain. So if that's you... uh, just come up to the front here in a moment after I've prayed, where in plain sight, ordinary people <laughs> will come and pray for you. We invite anyone to come forward to pray for whatever reason. And those who come alongside you to pray, um, there's nothing special about them, but they are in home groups, so that you know it's not that we allow any old weirdo to come and pray for you, it's just the weirdos that we know. Um, <laughs> But we're all just ordinary people, just who believe and trust in God, and we believe that God is here with us right now, and wants to meet with us, wants to do some stuff with us. So why don't you stand, and I'll pray. Thanks, man. Father God, we are so grateful that you would choose to make yourself known to the world through the likes of us. We bring ourselves before you now and ask. That by the power of your holy spirit you would uh, you would be forming us molding us ever more into uh, what it means to be a little christ We thank you so much for uh, encouragers like Barnabas that we have known, who have taken risks on us. Lord, would you, would you give us courage? Whether we're in a position to release somebody or whether we're simply um, on the sidelines, would you give us a heart that just cheers people on, that just celebrates, uh, celebrates the... the birth of new kingdom fruit. And Lord, would you bring healing in our midst where there is uh, brokenness in our bodies or in our minds, Lord, Would you bring your healing? We rejoice at the testimony that we heard earlier. Would you come and do it again? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come forward just as the music begins to play. There's plenty of time. Fire at will.